From the H-Bomb Boxing Studios in beautiful downtown Forest Hill, Maryland, this is Episode 4 of the H-Bomb Boxing Report. Welcome you all of you once again, and thank you for joining us for this episode. We're really glad to have you along for this episode of the H-Bomb Boxing Report. Don't forget to go to hbombboxing.com to subscribe if you haven't done so already. It's free. Just submit your email address. You will be notified when new episodes drop. And you can also find all of our social media links there as well. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever that is appropriate. And we will be sure to keep you in the loop regarding all things boxing. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover here today, and when you have a lot of ground to cover, it's always best to have someone with you to shoulder the load, and when you're talking about boxing, there's uh, nobody better to assist in those duties than my co-host tonight. I'm very pleased that he's agreed to join me once again. You should remember him from episode one. He's the former co-host of the Ballroom Boxing Report radio program, and he's without a doubt one of the best guys to have a boxing discussion with. He's none other than my good friend, Mr. Scotty Krause. Scotty, what's up, brother? Hey, Marty. Not a whole lot. Looking forward to uh, hanging out with you for about an hour, talking about some boxing. It's a great passion of yours and, and mine as well. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to start off on a, a low note here tonight because uh, news broke a week ago Saturday that the uh, great middleweight champion, marvelous Marvin Hagler, suddenly passed away. Uh, obviously one of the greatest middleweights of all time. He reigned undisputed in the division from 80 to 87. Uh, and we mentioned in episode one, probably most famous for his war with Thomas Hearns. Uh, I like to call that the greatest three round fight in history because it's the best three round fight I've ever seen. And, uh, he was kind of a no nonsense fighter, uh, who was a uh, old school kind of guy. But, uh, I, I like to think he's like a, a missing link because he had his feet planted in both worlds. He was an old school hardcore, no-nonsense kind of guy, but uh, he could hang with the modern guys, and he just he had a style, I think, that could just uh, transcends to any era. I agree. You hit the nail right on the head when you called him sort of a uh, um, sort of transition from old school to modern day. Uh, he did have a foot in both worlds, boxing glove in both worlds. Um, old school's a great way to describe him. Uh, he was one of those blue-collar guys, especially when you look at the middleweight division, the history of the middleweight division, probably more so than any other division. It's been known as a blue-collar division. You've had your finesse fighters, your boxers, but for the most part, it is a lunch pail uh, weight class. You go all the way back to guys like Mickey, uh, Toy Bulldog Walker, Harry Greb, um, uh, guys like Jake LaMotta, Tony Zale, Rocky Graziano, Gene Fulmer, Carmen Basilio. Wow. And he's uh, right there with all those names. Absolutely. <laughs> Joey Giardello, Carlos Monzon, and you got Marvin Hagler. And he fits right in to that group of fighters. But he also, I wouldn't call him a finesse fighter, but he also was a technician. I mean, we know him for the war with Thomas Hearns, uh, but that was by design. He wasn't like that in every fight. 
many of his fights. He is a technician, uh, a, a, a fantastic boxer. So he is that old school go to war kind of middleweight, but he also could outbox you. He could all, he had great footwork. He had a great jab. He could transition. Uh, he'd go back and forth between Southpaw South and Orthodox as well as any fighter I've ever seen uh, in my life. He truly was one of the greatest middleweights of all time and one of the greatest fighters of all time. I've never heard anybody have a bad word to say about him. I mean, nobody ever said he ducked this guy or, you know, nothing like that. Nothing. Uh, well, look, look at his record. Look at the fights before he became famous, before he became middleweight champion. It's impressive in that alone. Some of the fighters, when he was only 14-0, and he fought a 21-0 and Sugar Ray Seals, the 1972 Olympic gold medalist. And he won a 10-round decision. Uh, fought him in a rematch, had a 10-round draw. And in their third fight, he knocked him out in the first round. He also went to Philadelphia and fought in some of those tremendous uh uh, Philadelphia environments at the spectrum fighting guys. That was the heyday of the Philly fighter. Absolutely. Right there. Absolutely. These and he guys went right defined, into the den of that. Right there. And he yeah. wanted to by design. He wasn't forced to do it. He wanted to prove himself. He was old school in 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 that way of thinking. And he fought guys like Willie the Worm Monroe, Bobby Bugalo Watts, uh, Cyclone Hart, uh, Benny Briscoe. I mean, these guys, just, just a who's who of Philadelphia fighters. And he went there, he honed his skill, he lost a couple fights, but that proves, you know, a couple losses don't define your career because the best was yet to come. Even in his first title challenge against Vito and Fofromo, he uh, lost a 15 round decision. Most ring observers still to this day believe he should have won that fight. He was pretty bitter about losing that fight. Uh, eventually would fight Alan Minter, who had defeated Antofermo in England. Again, he goes to England to fight him, and it was just an absolute bloodbath. Stopped him in three rounds, yeah. Three rounds. and uh, Total chaos after. It, it was chaos. But, you know, a lot of those hard times, and, and we know this about life, don't we, Marty? Absolutely. Hard times can beat you down and keep you down, or they can refine you like fire they can they can make you who you are and build you up and Hagler allowed all those difficult uh, circumstances going to Philadelphia fighting those guys taking a couple losses even the painful loss the bitter loss uh, against Antrofermo and and he, it made him the fighter that he would become which as we all already said is an all-time great and not only that but it put this chip on his shoulder that he used to, I'm not saying that he wouldn't have trained hard anyway, or he wouldn't have lived this Spartan lifestyle and 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 been in shape and and fought the style that he fought, but it gave him this edge. This I've always got to be working harder and working harder and working harder. This war mentality. This I want to isolate myself and stay away from my wife and family for months on end. I, you know, I just want to, by the time that bell rings, I, I, all of it has built up to that moment. And, and he was great at that. And he carried that chip even into his retirement because his last fight was obviously a, one bitter, of the most highly debated bitter. decisions uh, in the sport of boxing, at least in my lifetime. If you want to get into a debate, 
with any boxing fan, you talk about the Hagler Leonard decision. And uh, I have a friend named Dennis Sipes, and I can't bring it up because he gets angry. He gets animated that Hagler won that. He thinks Hagler won the fight, and he's not having any of it. So exactly, (laughs) I've had so many debates over that fight. I've probably watched that fight more than any fight. How'd you see it in boxing? I I see it a one fifteen one thirteen Leonard. No matter how many times right. I watch it, and like I said, I probably watched it fifteen times. Interesting. About eight years ago, uh, I went to the the boxing hall of fame in Canastota. Only time I've been, but uh, the guys I was with it was a, a another boxing show, and all of us who were part of the show gathered in a room one night, and we all watched Hagler Leonard. We paused it after every round. We scored oh, it, we debated it, we talked about it, and because there are a lot of hardcore Hagler fans, one of the guys had a big Hagler tattoo on his arm. Uh, it was interesting. At the end of the night, it was uh, my score was about what, it, what it's always been. It was very close. But it was interesting to see some of the Hagler fans have to admit, you know, sitting here doing it the way we did it, yeah, it was closer than I thought. I think one even had to concede it to Leonard. And uh, it, it was a very, very close fight. And it, that's one of those fights it comes down to. If you want to argue scoring and how do you score a fight, watch that fight because it each fighter represents something that you might like in a style that leads to a certain type of scoring. Exactly. It, it, it's, it's a 50-50 thing. Some people since. like come forward pressure fighters. Yes. Some people like the defensive slicksters. And some people and, like the guy, the volume punchers. And, you know, it, it was a difficult fight to score. I, I, To this day, from watching it live, to this day, I've always thought Leonard won the fight. I'll, I'll argue that. I'll debate that forever. But I understand you can watch that fight because so many have, and score it for Hagler. Harold Letterman scored it for Leonard, 115-113, the night of the fight. So many boxing writers, so many fans had it for Leonard. Just as many had it for Hagler, which is interesting because it's not one of those controversial decisions that everyone saw going one way, and you look back on and say, what a robbery, something like uh, Julio Cesar Chavez and Pernell Whitaker. You know, along those lines, Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield in their first fight. This was something that debatable, absolutely debatable. But as debatable as it is, I mean, the Hagler fans will fight you tooth and nail. The Leonard fans will fight you tooth and nail and no one will give an inch. But that's what makes it such a memorable fight. And, and, and he was involved in many memorable fights. The Leonard fight, the Hearns fight, the Mugabe fight, which was right before the Leonard fight, was a tremendous fight. And so many others. Man. I have a confession to make. Uh, Hagler, Leonard, I didn't see it when it was live. I didn't see it. I was in Korea. Well, you have an excuse. I was serving the country. Yeah, I was okay. out in the field. But when we got back, we, we were out in the field for three, four days. We got back, and word started circulating. And I, I was like, no, no, you, no, you're kidding me. Cut it. You know, it was like that kind of thing. I, I really thought Hagler was going to win the fight. And it, it, it was a shocker when I heard. Well, I did, too. I actually bet someone at the place where I was working a dollar, friendly wager, that Hagler would win. He said, oh, Sugar Ray's going to win. I thought, eh, that's just. Hey, you had four to one favorite. You know, why yeah, not? I mean, I love Sugar Ray <laughs> Leonard. He, he is probably my favorite fighter. It's just growing up. He was the local guy, 
and there was so much about his career, but this is about 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 Hagler. Um, I thought Hagler just was the baddest man on the planet, the best fighter in the world. Sugar Ray had never fought at middleweight. He had been retired for five years, except for that one comeback fight against Kevin Howard. That although he won, he was dropped. He didn't look very good. Didn't look good. And at I all. didn't think there was any way. He was the fear to, was he was going to go blind. The, the fear was he was going to go blind. Exactly. Similar mm -hmm. to when Evander Holyfield fought Mike Tyson. Remember, the fear was Tyson is going to kill yes. Evander Holyfield. And that was the fear with Leonard fighting Marvin Hagler. This is going to end badly for Leonard. And I remember sitting there down at the old Baltimore Civic Center. Been there many times. Yep, has a new Closed name, circuit. New That's name now, but... That's pre-pay-per-view. Pre-pay-per-view, closed circuit. You would get into an arena like that, watch it on the big screen. A lot of, a lot and, of great and it, you know, it, it was fifty bucks to get in. It wasn't like a pay-per-view now, where it's like fifty or seventy, and you can have fifty people in your house. Nope. Every was, person. Every person. Was fifty dollars. Paid fifty dollars. You usually got a pretty good card in yes. those days, though. The undercard was usually pretty good, um, but I can remember sitting there and watching round by round. And I can remember after the first round, well, you know, Leonard did well that first round, but hey, it's just the first round. You know, he'll probably die in the second round. Second round, oh, he's doing okay. After four rounds, I'll never forget, there's a guy up in front. He held up his hand with four fingers up representing Leonard and then a big zero representing Hagler. And you could just... You could just feel the energy you get sucked out of the place. The buzz. Yeah. Just from the Hagler because, side, I mean, yeah, because yeah. this is a Leonard crowd, right? Because you know, this is this is Baltimore, Maryland. Sure. So this is a pro Leonard crowd. Um, a little bit of buzz when it started because it's an event, but nobody expected what would happen. But after four rounds, when clearly Leonard's ahead four to nothing, um, and that's the problem. Hagler gave away too many rounds. I think Leonard got into his head. We all know the mental games that he played. Um, but if I'm that, not mistaken, Leonard was up four nothing on all all three cards. Uh, I think so. I'm not sure off the top of my head if all four cards had him four nothing, but I think they should have because he clearly won the first four rounds. Hagler really didn't do anything but just stalk him, and I think that's Leonard in his head. Uh, Hagler should have just attacked. He should have just gone right after him from the very beginning, but he let him in the fight. He built up too many rounds, and those who uh, – Hypothetical question for you, Scotty. Yeah. What if it went? The decision goes the other way. What do you think? I mean, where do you see the futures of both of those guys going if Hagler were to got were to gotten the decision? That's that's. If he had got a decision, I think Leonard would he have given Leonard a rematch? Uh Hagler. Yeah, I think he might have. I think he might have. Mm -hmm. um, I. There was talks of a rematch after Leonard won. Uh, depending on which. Who you hear, who you listen to, why it didn't happen. Obviously, each side will point to the other. But there were serious talks of a rematch for a little while. It never materialized. And I'm guessing, knowing Sugar Ray Leonard and his history, how he dealt with Thomas Hearns after he beat him the first time, he probably made some demands that Hagler just thought was disrespectful and uh, just wasn't going to play his game. And Hagler was so bitter over the loss, like I said, he fought with a chip on his shoulder from some injustices early in his career. He never thought he got the credit due. Remember after the Duran win, in the ring interview afterwards, uh, he said, look, man, I just beat a legend. You guys got to give it to me now. You remember right. that? He, so, he wasn't as impressive, perhaps. I mean, that was a close fight. It was actually a pretty good fight. Yeah. And 
a lot of people were expecting him to destroy Duran, and you know, again, just, he paid Duran too much respect. Uh, Duran was in better shape because Duran was off and on at the time. You never you knew what you were going to get. You were going to yeah. get exactly. Obviously, he went up too many weight classes. I yeah. mean, you're talking about one of the greatest sure. lightweights of all time, and then, you know. He just he just kept going up and up and up and I, what are you fighting six decades five six decades yeah, I mean something like that you know. but that was a clear example of the boxer Marvin Hagler you know we saw in Hearns the just the the, the warrior and uh, he had just so many moves he could fight every I style guess, and he could he, fight he every could. style right left uh, however you wanted to do you, you talk really, about you talk about the middleweight division uh, you know that's one of the the old school the old the original divisions there and. Uh, Everybody who, everybody who put a blemish on his record, talk about Sugar Ray Seals, he had a draw and, uh, with Vito Antifermo, and he had losses to Willie Monroe and Bobby Watts. Every one of those blemishes were avenged. In, with, in a big way. With knockouts. Yes. You know, and I think uh, the Leonard thing sort of left a bad taste in his mouth because I think he wanted that opportunity, but because it never materialized, I think he, he you know, it was, it was time for him to go. Uh, in his mind, I mean, he, he was what thirty three, or I mean, he, you know, he had he had he well, had he years had, left yeah, in him. Yeah. And well, he had sixty seven fights. Right. You know, that's a, yeah. that's, that's a lot of fights. He paid his dues. He paid his dues. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a lot of fights. And after the Mugabe fight, it was clear to most people he, he's not lost. He wasn't over the hill, but you can start to see just some uh, a few glimmers of uh, that slight decline. And you knew that he you probably think that had Hearns some good fight fights. took it out of him a little bit. I had to take something out of yeah. him. I mean, that was you brutal. Know, he had a lot of fights that were brutal, and uh, the Mugabe fight. I mean, what's he twenty six and 0, 26 KOs coming yeah, in? Yeah, I mean, Marty John Mugabe could flat out knock anybody. He had the right nickname out. He did. <laughs> he was a pure KO puncher, and he hit Hagler with shots that could have knocked. 10 fighters out and Hagler took those shots. I remember he had lumps on his head, uh, but Hagler could take a punch. And uh, we saw that against Thomas Hearns in that first round when Thomas, that, that right hand met his, uh, that thing caught fire so fast. And that he fight fractured just... his hand yeah. on his skull, split his skull open. And uh, it just, I was just reading the other day. He said he, he didn't even realize he was bleeding. He said when they when they stopped the fight to check the cut, he, he was like, "What's going on? What's going on?" Somebody said, "We're checking this cut." He didn't even he didn't even I mean, I guess you know the adrenaline and the rush just he didn't even realize it. But that's that's what made him really kicking into gear. Oh, absolutely, because he knew then once they checked that cut, I, this could end at yeah, any this time. Could now end. I need to take. I want to make sure when it ends, it ends on my terms. Yeah, and he did. <laughs> he had the momentum at that point as well because Hearns had fractured his right hand and was on his toes a little bit more now, but he knew it was the time to get rid of that. And that's, that's something when we talk about fighters like that, like Leonard, like Hagler, they knew when to end a fight. They knew when their backs were against the wall and something has to be done, and they would usually come up with something dramatic when they needed like it. Leonard Hearns, like Leonard Hearns, first fight. Like Leonard Hearns, first fight. And that's what made these fighters just all-time greats and that's such a tremendous era. We talked about the Four Kings, our first uh, podcast together, and uh, it's sad, very sad, that one of them has now 
passed away. And if you would have told me of the four of them that Hagler would be the first, I probably would have uh, not believed you. But yeah, I mean, just 66 years old, seemingly good health. I mean, it was you know shot. I mean, it came out of nowhere. I, yeah. I saw some pictures of him from like two, three days early. He was smiling. He looked. He looked like he could get back in there. <laughs> and here's the kind of fight when when you not only have the adoration of the fans that he has, I mean, the outpouring from all the fans, the respect, the love, but even his opponents, the fighters that he went to war with were practically in tears when reminiscing about him. Sugar Ray Leonard said, I'd give up that decision if it meant bringing him back. Thomas Hearns was broken at the news about him passing. These guys that just made each other find each other's careers during this time and uh, seeing pictures of all of them together at Duran they're all smiling it was it's just that's something you have in boxing they earned their fame it's, they earned yeah. their fame in the ring without a doubt you know I was thinking I, I looked at uh, I was just kicking around some numbers here I'm going to give you this is the record of Hagler's combined opponents in the 80s just for the decade of the 80s I just looked up the opponents that he fought in the 80s had a combined record of 651 and 52 I mean, he wasn't taking on tomato cans. He was he was fighting. If you, if it's a murderer's row of guys that he took on. It is, and if you look at his title defenses, there are some good, tough fighters, fighters that maybe we don't recognize as being as good as they were, because Hagler was a dominant champion, and you know the the these guys couldn't hold a title because Hagler held the title and he defended the title against some guys like Mustafa Hamshow. It's a tough, tough fighter. Uh, Fulgencio Obalahias was a guy who had a bunch of knockouts when he faced Hagler. Hagler knocked him out twice. Um, Tony Simpson was a tough guy. These are A-minus, B-level fighters. I mean, these these are still really, really good fighters, you know, without a doubt. And uh, so he gets... Hagler gets inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame 1993, and um, he you were there, right? You've been there? <laughs> I, I've, I've been there. I wasn't for that one. I went okay, but, I mean, you've been there, yes. I, and yeah. I haven't. That's, that's, Marty, my, that's my bucket list. Yeah, that has to be. Yeah, <laughs> that's my bucket list. Do that. Right now, unfortunately, yeah, it's, tough. it's tough to do anything. You can't, you can't, you can't get there anything. because they've canceled it again, apparently, for but, this year. But uh, What I noticed is you always saw him there. He was like the mayor of the International Boxing Hall of Fame on Hall of Fame weekend. You know, you just we always saw that guy there. Unfortunately, took when, time the one the time I was there, I didn't run into him, and I wasn't able to get a, a, a picture with him. But some friends of mine that I went with, uh, they did. You have to see. So you have different events that you can pay extra for, like a, a you know going golfing, and you go golfing with all these fighters and uh, a special dinner. And all these fighters are there. And there's a lot of events like that that you fork over extra money to do. Access, just to get access. And then yeah. you can, you know, obviously get a chance to meet a lot of your favorite fighters, get pictures with your fight, favorite fighters. Uh, I never did that. I, I, I just did a few of the free things because I was pretty cheap. I still got a lot of good pictures, a lot of good fighters, but I never got, uh, I never got Hagler, unfortunately. And, you know, the, the other thing I wanted to point out was he, he was with the Petronelli brothers his entire, his entire career, career, which is amazing. Yep. And there's another thing. I just heard this, and I, I didn't check it out, so I don't know if it's true, but I just heard someone the other day told me that uh, his fight with Briscoe, one of his fights with Briscoe in Philly, has the record for the largest attendance for an indoor fight in the state of Pennsylvania where a title was not on the line. I know that's a lot of caveats sure. there. 
And but I, and, and my first thought was, well, you know what? If it was today, there'd be some sort of belt on the line. There would be some sort of something yeah, of or another. There would yeah. be some kind of belt. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just amazing that 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 whole era that he came up in, and he he, he paid his dues and he earned his way to the top, and uh, definitely going to be missed. Another story I uh, I read, I can't remember if it was a quote from Bob Arum or from someone else, so I'm not sure of the source. I don't remember. Um, but apparently, as far as the Petronelli brothers go, when Hagler started making the millions, you know, they've been with him his whole career, and they've been with him for the, you know, the, the when he made pennies, and they had a typical 10% trainer's fee. That's what he, he paid them 10% out of his purse. When he started making millions, they offered, look, you're, you know, 10% is a lot more now that you're making all this money. He wasn't having it. We're willing to uh, just, just give us a flat fee. We're fine with that, which tells you, you know, the character of these guys. The loyalty was a two-way street. Yeah, it was a two-way street, yeah. but Marvin said, absolutely not. You know, you're going to get 10%. These guys, they were, they were loyal to each other up to the very end. Uh, you know, when looking at his career, that's just another one of the special qualities, one of the rarities that ain't a lot of loyalty in this business. You don't see from other fighters. And when you go through the career of Hagler, as many of us have since his passing, you start to notice, wow, uh, that's 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 rare. Oh, that's rare. Uh, oh, that's rare. And then you, it all really dawns on you what a special fighter he really, really was. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's definitely going to be missed. So rest in peace, marvelous Marvin Hagler, which is his official name. Marvelous Marvin Marvelous Hagler. Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Yeah, changed it. Changed it to Marvelous. Okay, Scotty. Well, <clears throat> as sad as that is, we're going to uh, take a look back now at uh, some of the fights that we've seen over the last few weekends and talk about uh, what just happened and then talk about what's about to happen. It's a little segment I like to call What Just Happened and What's About to Happen. That's, that's very <laughs> appropriately named. Did you come up with that? Well, I figured it's a, it's a segment that it probably will play out in every podcast episode. So uh, why not why not name that? That uh, cutting that, edge, Mark. that portion, yeah, yeah, we're out there, Scotty. We're out there. So uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, the big fight of the weekend was uh, Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. Uh, this is a rematch from a 2012 fight, which was an outstanding fight. Uh, this was an also an outstanding fight, without a doubt. Uh, Gonzalez, 33 years old, so you know. You got to wonder how much time he has left, especially for guys who fight at the lower weight classes. They're at uh, 115 pounds right now. And uh, what a fantastic fight. 2,529 total punches thrown in the fight. And it's, it's, it was beautiful boxing. Uh, close decision, controversial. Uh, I personally thought Gonzalez won the fight somewhere in 7 to 5 range. But, you know, when rounds are close... You know, when you say seven to five, but a lot of rounds were close, you have to be okay with six six. You have to be okay with eight four, because, admittedly, these rounds are close. Uh, how did you see it? I saw it the same as you. Um, I didn't score it. I usually don't sit there and try to score a fight when I'm watching it because I can't enjoy it as much. You know, back when I was covering fights more, I would take the time to to score them. Uh, I don't anymore. So I just. Get a gist. I, I see what the ringside or the um, uh, whoever's doing the scoring on the TV, what their score is. And you can agree or disagree. and yeah, Exactly. I can sort of think, well, I'm not sure if I saw that or not. And at the end of the fight, I can get a gist of who I thought won the fight. That's not precision by any chance, by any means. But 
at the end of the night, I definitely thought Gonzalez had won the fight. I thought his punches were harder. <clears throat> I thought they were more meaningful, more damaging. He's such a great combination puncher. I mean, he really, <laughs> yes. really puts his punches together. It's beautiful to watch. It is. And this is one of those battles, one of those wars where it's, it's, it takes place at the highest level of skill. You know, you, you can see a war. I mean, you can go and watch. Yeah, uh, club fight. <laughs> exactly. Um, but this is a war with just tremendous skill. And I thought both of these guys uh, fought their hearts out. And you hate to have a loser in a fight like that. Yeah. You really do. Yeah. I know it's cliche. It wouldn't have broke my heart if it was a draw. I mean, I, I, I really think, you know, it was, just, times, it was that good. There are times when a draw, it just feels right. Because you don't, you, you don't want to see one There's of the no guys loser. <laughs> lose because they both just fought so hard. And this was one of those times. But I did think Gonzalez deserved the decision. And that's twice now I thought Gonzalez deserved the decision. I thought against the first fight in Sorung Visay, I thought he definitely deserved that decision. Yes, I did too. As well. Not the second one. <laughs> no, not the he, second one. He was KO'd in that he one. He was. So, yeah. and, and which, which, when you look at his career, Marty... You know, sometimes you look at a fighter's career and there's a fight that's just an anomaly. It's just what happened that night. And that's one of those fights because after that night, it was pretty universal in the call for him to retire. Like, okay, right. he just got old overnight and he needs to go away now before he gets hurt. But he's come back and he's had some fantastic wins. Came up Calify and uh, Quadras. Quadras, um, yeah. And, and the fight against Estrada that you know both of us and many others are saying, you know, we thought that he should have won. So yeah, he still has it. I don't know what happened that night against Sorung Vasai, but the crazy thing is that rematch probably wouldn't have happened if he'd have gotten the decision the first time around that he deserved. Right, because that that put Sorung Visai on the map, so to speak. Uh, I mean, he, he was there, but I mean, it put him on the, the, the radar. Oh, to, of to, the, to knock out the Chocolatito the way he yeah. did. I mean, that was just that was That's just a statement. Brutal. Now, speaking of Soren Visa, he, he fought the night before. Uh, I don't know the guy's name, and I, I couldn't pronounce it if, if you put it right in front of me. But uh, he, he won. Easy, easy one-way traffic, easy business there for him. So that sets him up for the winner, and then everybody's thinking it's going to be the third match with Chocolatito, but now it's going to be the third match with Estrada. They're each one-and-one one in those fights. So they've, they've got a little... Between Quadras and Estrada, Chocolatito and, and Soren Visa, they sort of have this, uh, you know, talk about four kings, yeah, they sort yeah. of have that thing going on yeah, there. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because uh, I've seen a couple of people mention that, sort of a a miniature version, no pun intended there, right. of uh, the four kings with Sorung Visay, Chocolatito, Estrada, and Quadras. You look, you look at each one, they've all fought each other. And they all have wins and losses against each other. There's no one that has dominated the other three. So, yeah, those those are... It's almost guaranteed action. It is. If you put, you take any... Pick two names out of a hat of those four, and you're going to have an action. The, the only the only fight. fight that didn't deliver that was the... The KO. Yeah. Yeah. Other, other than that, when, when they get in the ring, you know you're probably going to the later rounds, if not to the bell, and you're going to have... Uh, non-stop action. I and mean, we got that with uh, the Estrada-Gonzalez rematch. Going in, you knew this was going to be a fantastic fight. and It, it delivered. delivered. It did. Yeah. It did. The only thing, and, and it's going to be in discussion for Friday of the Year at the end of the year, the only thing is it didn't 
The only thing it didn't have. Knockdowns. It didn't have knockdowns. It didn't have the drama of a fighter coming back from the brink and, you know, right. those kind of things. It was just that, every round was just. Exactly. That make epic, memorable fights. Yeah. But it just was a high level of skill, high volume of punches, every minute of every round for 12 rounds. And, you know, it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with a great nothing fight. Wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, uh, both guys are just so humble. And, and, you know, I think what I liked about that is there was, there was no hype. There was no. Well, I don't want to use the word hype, but there was there was no BS, there was no uh, fake animosity, yeah, yeah. and even after the fight, both guys are just so humble. Uh, I did like though at at the at the very end uh, when they were interviewing Chocolatito in the ring, they basically said, "Are you going to pursue a third fight?" He said, "Why? I, I beat him twice." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, I, so what do you think? I mean, obviously, uh, Estrada's got sore wrong Visai uh, lined up for next, but what do you think's next for Chocolatito? Because you know, you got. Uh, Kazuto Ioka, Jerwin and Cajas, you know, he got some some really solid fights for him in and around that weight class. It, it depends on how soon they could make the Sorung Visai and Estrada uh, match. Uh, I know that they wanted Sorung Visai to step aside, and so Estrada Chocolatito can have their third match, but he's not going to do that. So and it doesn't really matter because, like we've talked about before, any combination of these guys is still a great fight. So seeing Estrada Sorung Visay again is certainly not a loss. As far as uh, Gonzalez, I, I don't know who he fights in the meantime. Uh, like you said, he's uh, at 33. That's, uh, that's getting up there. Plus, you look at all the fights that he's had, the wars that he's it's had. Wear you have him. the brutal knockout. And he doesn't have much longer. So I, I, I don't know if he wants to get in there with a really tough fighter before maybe getting another shot at Estrada Sorung Visay, I'm not sure how they're going to uh, play that out and how that's going to work. Especially, you know, we're still, and I don't want to call it the post-COVID, you know, because we're not quite there yet. Things are a little more heated. Things are a little better. But, you know, we're still not on the full boxing schedule like we were maybe a couple years ago. So it'll be interesting just to wait and see. Uh, how some, soon some, these guys can get in the ring. Some of these fights have in the in the COVID era, if you want to call it that, have been great, but just without that crowd, without the energy of that crowd, they you know they're just not. They're about ninety five percent as memorable as they would have been if you know it, you feel the energy of the crowd even through the television. Yeah, you know? definitely. Now, just a side note before we move on from that, uh, one of the judges in that fight, uh, Carlos Sucre, has been suspended by the WBA, I believe it is, for uh, his card 117-111, which of course I disagree with, uh, but here, here's where I think this is ridiculous. One, I, I've seen fights that have had a lot worse worse decisions than what we saw, and anytime you're judging a fight, I believe, this is my opinion, but anytime you're judging a fight that has so many close rounds, it still can be scored wide if all those close rounds, if you edge all the close rounds to one fighter, I can see it. Uh, I, I don't know, I got mixed feelings about it, but what do you think? Yeah, I have mixed feelings too, Marty. Um, you know, when I, when I when I heard about that, part of me says, "Yeah, good. That was a horrible scorecard." I thought, um, as most people thought, and you know, the guy should be held accountable. And it seems like the response was pretty, you know, positive uh, to taking some kind of action, even if in the past maybe there are worse scorecards and they have it. Maybe maybe we start now. Maybe this is the the first step towards trying to correct the scoring. However, 
two things. First of all, you mentioned in a back and forth fight, when you have to choose, you have a 10-9 round, you're going to have scorecards that might seem wide. The judge probably didn't think the fight was wide. He just... Each round. He just thought Estrada edged Gonzalez. I personally, and I am very much in a minority on this, I realize that, and most people will disagree with me, but I have been an advocate for a long time of the 10-10 round. I, I, I know that's unpopular, but in my opinion, it gets rid of those kind of scorecards. We were talking Leonard Hagler. Jojo Guerra, the one judge, had it 118-110 for Leonard, considered one of the most outrageous scorecards uh, historically. But again, in his mind, Leonard did enough to edge the round. You got to score at 10-9. And you end up with a wide scorecard, even if you believe the fight was close. If you have a 10-10 round and you score, you know, and, and a fight like Estrada Gonzalez, where there's a lot of close rounds, if it's a close round and you don't see a clear cut winner, Rather than sitting there and thinking, I gotta pick a winner because I'm not supposed to score a 10-10 round. All right, I'll give it to this guy, 10-9. If you do 10-10, then at the end of the night, your scorecard is going to match what you saw. It's going to be very, very close. Yeah, because the 10-9 rounds are gonna be the ones where you, you, You're you, gonna you definitely thought fighter A had 10, Exactly, had where nine. you thought it's clear that he won that round. Yeah. There are many rounds that are just tough to call, but it's almost a mental coin flip just because you have to score it 10-9. Yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's just like taboo, and people just, they just don't want to do it. For me personally, I always think round one, when you, you ever see round one when two guys come out and they really do nothing? They do nothing. They, they, to me, round ones are the biggest 10-10 rounds you can have. Oh, I know? agree. And then and the ringside scorer says, well, fighter A threw a jab, so I gave it to him, you know, 10-9. Did you really earn that yeah, round? Really? Yeah. Come on. Uh, the, the, the second thing is this. While, again, I said part of me applauds a guy being held accountable like that, there's another part of me that is, uh, it's like censorship. When it's something you don't like, you're all, yeah, that's good. You know, I'm all for censorship, but, but when it applies to something you like, and you don't like censorship so much. I, I, I don't know that I like, especially in a fight like this. This wasn't a dominant one-sided fight. Okay, that might be different if it was a clear one-sided beatdown. Okay, we're gonna talk about Peter Biev and his fight against uh, Adam uh, Dennis. Dennis. Yes. Uh, that Dennis. was a one-sided fight. If a judge at the end of that night had Dennis winning, you know, had them up like half the rounds, yeah, or, yeah, then then that judge probably should be suspended. But in the Gonzalez Estrada fight, which was back and forth, very little to distinguish the two of them. Enough, maybe in my opinion, but very close and if you're a ringside judge and Marty I know you've been to fights but if you've ever sat ringside and watched a fight you know it is a little different from watching on your TV it's a little different from one side of the ring as opposed to the other side of the ring there it, it, it's like when you go to a wrestling match and you see the punches <laughs> and, they, see, and they aren't really punches you realize <laughs> he never hit the guy so to me what it does is it sends a message to the judges 
and gives them something they have to worry about while they're judging a fight. And I, I, I don't want any predisposed right. I want thinking. their focused on each exactly. round. I don't want a fighter uh, or, or a judge to sit there. And you know, it's funny because I've done this when I covered fights and I would score the fight so we could talk about it. I would be like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it seems kind of wide. Yeah, maybe I'll give this other guy yeah, the next may, round that's may, close maybe, be, because maybe, you know I'm I'm gonna end I'm, up looking like I'm you glad know, you said that because that's that's kind of my fear here is when when too much scrutiny gets put on the judges. Let's say the twelfth round rolls around and it's kind of close, but you you think uh, you think uh, Estrada won the round, but you say, well, you know what, I can give this round to Gonzalez because it's not going to affect my final score. Right. So I'm right. just going to give it to him right. so that I can avoid any kind of scrutiny on the back end of somebody saying, how did you have this fight so wide? It's just, it, it, it's a, it opens the door for a lot of things. It, it, it does. And I've done the same thing, which is, you know, I'm confessing, I shouldn't judge fights. But I have found myself doing that before. And I, I want to judge that even if their scorecard is seemingly a little off from everyone else's, I want a judge that's able to come forward and defend and say, look, this is what I saw. And you know, I'm 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 not going to change it because you want me to. I think what should be done is you take the judge, you sit down with it, you 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 put the fight on, you say now explain your criteria. Maybe his criteria at the end of the day, you say, well, you know, it makes sense. And well, if it doesn't it, make sense, is, just don't give him big fights. Exactly. And make him earn his way back it up is to the big fights. Subjective. We talked about Hagler Leonard. Yeah. How many years ago was that? How many decades ago was that? And we're still arguing we about still it. still will argue about yeah. it because it's subjective and it's difficult to score a fight unless the fight is clearly one-sided. When it's a close fight, you're going to have different scorecards. That's why you have three judges. Yes. You know? So that two uh, judges can overrule a bad judge. Exactly. Or, yeah. or not even... Or a bad let, night, let, a yeah, bad angle, a bad... Let's not say a bad... Let's just say a judge who has a perspective that is is off from what the others have seen. And it happens. So I'm not sure that I'm crazy about it. Like everyone else, I hate bad judging. I hate when a, a horrible scorecard ruins... Yeah, Erislandi, Laura, and Paul Williams. <laughs> yeah, it's a great <laughs> night of fights. Eugenio it just Williams. ruins a great night of fights. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a fighter's career. I mean, this is their livelihood. I yeah. mean, it, it, they, you know, Teddy Atlas used to say this all the time. These guys, every punch puts them closer and closer, you know, in, into retirement and into a serious injury. And yeah, to have something stolen from yeah, them is get is, it get it right. But at the same time, in a fight like this fight that was so close, I just don't know that this. I don't know that this is the fight. Where you go to the lengths of yeah. suspending? Don't plant your flag judge. on this one. I'm, uh, yeah. we, we can find some other some other fights. And speaking of other fights, also uh, this past weekend. So, oh, I'm sorry. Before we get past, I I, I didn't want to get past without mentioning uh, David Benavidez and his uh, knockout victory over Ronald Ellis. Eleventh uh, round, I believe it was. Uh, how did you see that? And what do you think? I mean, obviously, Benavidez is a, is a really talented, strong fighter, but how did you see the fight, and what do you see for Benavidez going forward? Well, I thought Benavidez probably should have uh, taken him out a little earlier. I wasn't as impressed with Benavidez and his performance, and when I say impressed, I'm not judging him solely on what I saw that night. 
I'm like many others, I'm judging him based upon how would he do against Canelo Alvarez. He's the fighter in that weight class everyone is gunning for. So whenever you see a fighter in that super middleweight division, you're thinking, how will they do against him? And based upon what I saw against Ronald Ellis, I didn't see anything that should make Canelo worried. But I do think David Benavides is one of the three guys in that weight class that are out there for him to fight. Obviously, he's got the belts to unify first. B.J. Saunders, he gets by B.J. Saunders. Caleb Plant, more than likely, will be the next fight. At that point, he has all the belts. Who are the contenders? I don't see a lot of contenders to give him any kind of serious fight or, or, or any kind of difficulty. Um, David Benavides might be the only one that I think qualifies as a serious contender. However, having said that, I, I, I didn't see anything against Ellis that makes me think that he can actually beat Canelo. Right, because every fight is an audition for your next fight. And when you're auditioning for the big one, for the big payday, you, you need to impress. It's not enough to say, okay, I'm, I'm doing well here. You know, this guy's no threat to me. I'm just going to cruise through. You have to impress. It's, it's sometimes it's not enough to win. If you want that big fight, you have to impress. And Marty, I got a question for you. Now we mentioned Canelo Alvarez. Um, it's your homework assignment. Okay. Who, who is the guy? Who is the fight? out there for Canelo Alvarez that is uh, like the, 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 the big fight for him. The fight that brings eye, more eyes than what he's used to getting when he fights. You know, we got the unification fights. I think that's great. I love that he's unifying the belts. I love that he's fighting regularly and frequently. Very often. Um, but I don't see a major challenge for him anywhere around him and I'm thinking that's that's a shame because he's such a marketable fighter he's arguably the best fighter in the world pound for pound but I mentioned the three super middleweights that are the best three super middleweights and I don't think any of them come close to dethroning him BJ Saunders is awkward he can box might be difficult but middleweight I see three guys there you got Jamal Charlo, Charlo, Demetrius Andre, and Triple G. Of all of those, to me, Triple G represents the toughest challenge because he was already in his first two fights together. But he's also a lot older. I don't know if Canelo has any interest. They would probably have to move up to super middleweight to fight him. Right. So apart from them, who is out there? Give me, think out of the box and give me some time. You don't have to do it right now. Well, you don't put on the spot, but, but I'll throw my opinion out there if, a if you want to hear it. Fight scenario for Canelo Alvarez. Uh, see, there's a difference between big fight and great fight. To me, big fight is one that I can go to work and mention it, and people go, "Oh yeah, I know that guy." Great fight might be against someone that they don't know. So well, give speak. me both. Okay. Well, uh, here's a scenario for you. He, he beats Billy Joe Saunders. He beats Caleb Plant. He's he's undisputed. So at that point, if he wants to fight Benavidez, if Benavidez is still the, the, the number one guy in the division that, that's left, maybe he fights him. And beyond that, I mean, I would love to see Charlo move up to, to take him on, to be honest with you. I think that would be a, a pretty good fight. But, uh, and we're, we're getting ready to talk about Arthur Better Biev in a minute, but um, 
So better be have just 16 and 0, 16 KOs. Just came off a, a, a knockout victory on Saturday. In a couple of weeks, Joe Smith is going to be fighting Maxim Vlasov for the uh, vacant WBO light heavyweight title fight. Joe Smith, Arthur Betterbiev fight each other. I think that's a great style fight. I think, uh, you know, Joe Smith is a big, strong, rugged guy who can really punch. And uh, I don't think he's the kind of guy that, uh, you know, Betterbiev is just super strong. Uh, but I don't think he's the, the, either one of these guys is going to push the other guy around. I think they're going to have to d dig in and, and, and earn it. And, of course, Betterbiev is probably the better boxer. But Joe Smith's getting better. Uh, whoever wins that fight, by the time all this Canelo thing clears out. Uh, so I, I see the scenario. Joe Smith beats Vlasov. Joe Smith against Better Biev. Probably Better Biev, but either way, whoever comes out of that faces Canelo because once Canelo cleans out that division, he's looking for legacy. You know, he's let's say he cleans out this division, he wins all the belts, and then maybe he fights Benavidez, and then by around this time next year, he says, well, new challenges for me. I'm moving up to light heavyweight, and to me, those are the guys there. Or Dimitri Bivol, that's another name, you know. But like I say, these to me are great fights, but are they big fights? Triple G is a big fight. You know, th those were, th that that drew the eyeballs. They, they, they were big fights and great fights. Uh, but I don't know who's out there that, that can really move the needle as far as big fights. But I think good fights. All right. Well, I agree with you. I think those are good fights. And I think, like you said, he's looking at legacy at that point. And I think from that standpoint... They're big fights. Every time he fights, it's a big fight. But I think if he's fighting for the unified light heavyweight championship, he already beat Kovalev, so he did win version of light heavyweight title once before. Uh, unified super middleweight, he has nothing there unless one or two of those middleweights that we talked about are willing to move up. Other than that, then I don't see anywhere else for him to go but up. And unfortunately, I, I, there, there's not a name like everybody. Let's say Better Biev is the guy. When all the dust clears, he's the guy, which I think is a good possibility. Anyway, does Better Biev and Canelo, does that have a lot of juice to it? Does that is it do marketable? Yeah, does that do a lot for the casual right. boxing fan? You know. Well, you know that's. that's... And I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure there is another big fight. Big fight, huge fight on the horizon for right. Canelo. I just don't know what else he does. I can't see him going higher than Lane right. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, but he's had he he has not had problems against taller guys. I mean, every you know every he just fought Callum Smith in December, and everybody said, oh, he's, he's six inches taller than he is. He's going to struggle with that height and that reaching. He had no problems yeah, whatsoever. Right, to, that 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 body's right there for him. Yeah, against the taller fighters. No problem. I almost feel sorry for taller fighters because right. you think there's there's ribs are going to be hurting tomorrow. Is there is there a guy at welterweight, junior middle, Spence that could move up two weight classes? I, I I don't know if Canelo would be willing to go back down to middleweight if a guy like Spence did go up to middleweight. Uh, would Spence be willing to even go higher than middleweight at a catchweight? Or would he just be willing to go in at 160 or 162 and let... There's a, there's a lot of questions, but one thing's for sure is Canelo's calling the shots. If he wants to go up, he goes up. If he wants to go down, yeah. he goes down. You know, he's calling there's the no shots. There's no debate there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Canelo Without calls a doubt. the shots. But I do like how he's active. I do like, uh, 
you know, how he's challenged. He seems to want to challenge himself. He's moved up through various weight classes. I just think it's a shame that, uh, uh, you know, Triple G is on the back end of his career. I just think it's a shame that uh, we're not looking at one and one in those two fights as opposed to I agree. I think it should be. If it was one and one, maybe there'd be a little more urgency on his part for a third fight. When when people always say to me, you know, who's the name on Triple G's resume? Who, you know, who's he beating? Canelo. To me, I say in the the court of public opinion, I say they're one and one. Uh, The second one was closer than the first one. I thought, in my opinion, that that could have been a draw or if you want to edge it to Canelo, I have no argument with that. Uh, But the first fight, I definitely think it was a... uh, a triple G victory. Yeah, you know, talking didn't. about scoring, there's an example of what I was talking about. I had the same score for both fights. I had them both for Canelo, uh, for Triple G. Mm-hmm. But I thought the first fight was a more, I don't want to say dominant, but a clearer Triple G victory than the second. Right. One. The second fight, even though my scorecard was the same, I thought there were more rounds you could give to Canelo. And I had no true issue with the decision. Now, that's close enough. Right. That, that, that's fine. First one, I didn't. When, when you score a fight, I think a lot of times uh, the best thing to do is to look at a range and say, what is, what is like the most you could score for this fighter? What is the most you could score for the other fighter without going off the charts and, you know, having a, a, a terrible scorecard what, what is the range that you could put for this fight and it's usually about a four point range a lot of times right I thought that first Canelo Triple G fight that a I think I saw it like in the 116 112 yeah. kind of range maybe yeah, even I, 115 113 yeah I think that is the best you can do for Canelo but there was a case in that fight where Canelo got every benefit of the doubt in every close round and that's why you ended up with uh the draw so yeah i'm not sure what uh what we're gonna see with canelo we got a lot of good fights ahead with canelo and i i I enjoy watching i didn't enjoy him as much early in his career to be honest i'm enjoying him a lot more now i he he really he's a complete fighter right now he is a complete fighter he's such a great counter puncher his head, his upper body and head movement is fantastic. Uh, he likes to go to the body. That, you know, so many times, you, you know, like in that in that second uh, fight with Triple G, I think one of the things that he had in his, his his advantage was Triple G was landing a lot of jabs, but he was landing one punch and bringing his hands back. You know, a lot of times when fighters throw one punch and the other guy puts his earmuffs on, that's that's the time to throw combinations. But nobody wants to throw combinations against Canelo because they know he's going to counterpunch, you know, and uh, he's, he's very sharp. He's very, he's a hard puncher. He's a good body puncher. He's just a all around well-rounded, well-rounded fighter. I mean, best fighter pound for pound. You know, I'm not a big pound for pound guy. Don't you? I, I, I really, I don't make pound for pound lists. I mean, if people ask me, I'll give my opinion. Uh, gosh. And, and, and you were just asked by the way. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, maybe uh, top three for sure. Uh, I like Inouye, uh, Crawford. I mean, um, I mean, just, just off the top of my head, because like I say, I don't, I don't keep a list. But uh, yeah, definitely right there. I mean, if you said he was number one, I wouldn't argue with you. Yeah, I, I, if you say he's below three, we, we're gonna, we're, <laughs> we're gonna, gonna argue. argue. But if you say one, two, or three, Canelo, uh, I'm buying it. Yeah, I have to say, I think Canelo is number one. I think his resume, 
is just it, it, I think it outshines the other guys that you mentioned. Yeah. So I, I just it, it popped in my head because you if you saw the interview with Oscar De La Hoya, um, you know there was a bitter split with right Canelo. right he uh, uh, this was on the uh, the Hooker Ortiz yes. card. And he made the point of mentioning uh, Terrence Crawford, a best pound for pound fighter. Yeah, in the yeah, world. I noticed that. Yeah, he, and yeah. I was hoping that Chris was Maddox accidental. Would say, oh, where do you think Canelo fits in there? Right. But no, nah, he didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, you know, just as a side note, you know, when uh, when all of Oscar's fighters left Golden Boy for PBC, and that was uh, Richard Schaefer was the sort of the architect who who sort of uh, it's it, there's such a that story is so intriguing to me because. Uh, Richard Schaefer was sort of the engineer of the mass exodus of Golden Boy fighters to PBC, and Oscar sort of was asleep at the switch. The guy that stayed with Oscar was Canelo, and that's what kept, in my opinion, that's what kept Golden Boy viable. So many fighters left Golden Boy and went to PBC, but Canelo stayed, and he made Golden Boy viable, and I always thought that that gave him a lot of leverage Uh Anytime there was any kind of uh, dispute or a fork in the road with uh, with Oscar, I think Canelo had leverage just based on the fact that, like, hey, I, I kept your company floating, you know, through all this, you know, through all your your, no your troubles and whatnot. No doubt. So it's such an intriguing situation. But we mentioned Arthur uh, Better Biev, and uh, he was in action this past Saturday. Of course, he's the IBF and WBC light heavyweight champion. He was taking on a guy that I, I hadn't seen before, Adam Dynas. Uh, the guy, uh, Dynas record coming in 19-1-1 one one with 10 KOs. So obviously he was, he's a good fighter. Uh, and I thought he made a pretty good showing, but better BF moves to 16-0, 16 KOs. Uh, you know, a lot of people were critical of better BF after the fight, but uh, because... He set the he set the bar of our expectations so high. We expect him to just blow guys out in two rounds, and you know this went ten rounds against a guy that uh, didn't have a lot of power. And um, if if you tell me a fighter wins every round, scores two knockdowns, and gets a tenth round stoppage, but he didn't look that great, I'm going to say like, <laughs> what are you watching? That bar is set really high. So I mean, he's supposed to destroy everybody in front of him, and eventually he did. You now he's been off for. 19 months uh, since the uh, Alexander Vostick fight, which was a great fight. I thought uh, that was a great fight, but better be have moves to 16 and 0, 16 KOs. And uh, of course, uh, that, that division's pretty strong right now, too. Like we mentioned, uh, WBO is up for grabs between Blossoff and Joe Smith. And uh, of course, Dimitri Bebo, who's kind of a question mark for me because, you know, he, he's not very active and he. Hasn't fought a lot of really good fighters, but he's been the champs since 2017. So he's he's going on four years now with that belt. And what's his signature fight? Be, talking about Bevo, right? Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, he's a great fighter. Love to see him get in the mix. Uh, one of the things I made a note here. One of the things uh, I I don't know if anybody noticed this, and I haven't mentioned it to anyone. So the the, the fight's on ESPN. It's it's in Moscow. Uh, I I can't see the rafters, but it looks like it's pretty crowded. It's, Maybe it's packed. Maybe it's, you know, it's, it's close. Not one mask. I did not see one. And we don't do politics here, so I'm not going to get into all that. But I just thought it was noteworthy. I didn't see one, not in the crowd, not in the corner. I didn't see any mask. It's Russia. You know, they're <laughs> tough. They don't wear a mask, Marty. Wow, I just, that was just a, an interesting. Uh, maybe it's too cold for uh, COVID. Yeah, that was an interesting observation. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't notice that. That is interesting, though. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, I thought Dynas held his own. I thought uh, he did he was game. pretty well. He was. He yeah. was game. Kind of an unknown guy. So that's one of the reasons I think you know, Better Beat is going to get a little bit of uh, heat because no people are like, well, I don't know this guy. So when I don't know the guy, you should knock him out. And you know, Dynas was uh, he was tough, and he gave him he gave him a, he gave him a tough fight, but he was beaten every single round. And uh, I thought uh, for being off as long as he was, you know, you're talking over a year and a half, almost two years. Uh, better be Ev. and he's dealt with all kinds of issues. He's had so many fights scheduled, fights just one yeah, reason COVID. after another. He had COVID. <laughs> yeah. He's had injuries. He's had just been all yeah. kinds of problems. So that could distract someone, and it could be difficult when you finally get back in the ring to have your focus. But I didn't see any of that. I didn't see a lack of focus. I, I think he got the rounds rust. he wanted. I think he, I think he, he, he did wanted too. to get some rounds. And I think he that got was important. And I don't know that he did that on purpose, but I think it's important that he did get the rounds in. Because, like you said, the winner of Lassoff and Smith, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough fight. So I think it only helped him in the end. But when it was all said and done, he got the knockout, and that's something I find interesting with Better Beev. He has three knockouts in the tenth or later. He has two in the tenth and one in the twelfth. So here's a guy that if you think you're going to take him into deep waters, that's where he swims. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where he likes to swim you're in trouble. Right. Uh, the, the guy has power. He's very strong for all 12 rounds. He can knock you out at any time of the fight. So he's uh, 36 though. He is 36. And uh, you know, so it's he, like, let's go. Let's I, go. <laughs> yeah. And he turned pro in 2013 and only right. has 16 fights. He hasn't been the most active of fighters. So maybe that helps him being 36. He hasn't, not a right. lot of abuse, not a lot of punishment. That's, you know, that's one of the, one of the things I mentioned in uh, episode three here was that, you know, you see these fighters coming from either uh, Eastern Europe or Asia and places like that. Uh, they spend so much time in the amateurs over there that when they get, to, it's a, it's a uh, two edge or two sided coin here. They spend so much time there that they're really good when they arrive because they've seen every style and they've, they've got experience against so many different styles, but their window to shine is so much smaller and they have to get with the right promoter and they have to have the right mindset and they have to really be aggressive about cashing in on their prime. And I worry about guys like this, that, you know, if, if he's hanging around another two years and he doesn't look as strong as he looks now, you know, what a waste. Well, that's something I've thought of quite a bit when a guy has a very, long and extensive amateur where they have hundreds of fights how does that affect their longevity in the pros i can remember about 15 years ago when uh, we were doing the ballroom box report and we had a middleweight contender named percy harris i think it was percy no mercy harris outstanding amateur career lots of amateur fights and a decent pro but couldn't quite get to that top level we had him on and I asked him, I was like, do you think that all those amateur fights took it out of you as a pro? And he said, without a doubt, most definitely. Really? Yeah. Really? He said he could tell it just, it, it, it shortened his professional career because he just, there were just so yeah. many 
fights. I guess a lot end. of it depends on your style too, because you know you're you're going three rounds. You got headgear, you know, the whole nine yards. But if 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 you you know if you engage in a war against someone who wants to engage in a war, you know, you can still you can put a lot of miles on. Well, the, he was on an tires. amateur when I don't know if headgear was even required really? at the time when he was mm -hmm. an amateur. Um, I'm not sure, but but guys like uh, Rigandial, he didn't have a very long professional. I mean, I know he's still there. He's still, yeah, he's still hanging around, but. You know, you notice those skills, those, and, and he had such precise skill. It didn't last a long time. Um, his name just just left me. I'm I'm, I'm old, Marty. <laughs> yeah. uh, he he's uh, never mind. I don't want to waste the time trying to think of his name. Uh, he, You're talking about somebody Rigandal fight? No, what? I'm I'm I'm, oh. I'm thinking of uh, his his the he, he was knocked out by Crawford. He. Uh, he started uh, Gamboa. Gamboa. There you go. Thank you, Marty. I, see, you're 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 sharper than I. Am. So I was hoping that yeah, I would get that one. Gamboa was a guy. And again, he didn't have a long shelf life where he was. Both were fantastic amateurs, weren't they? They, they were. Yeah. So some of the best. It, it, it could take a lot out of you as an amateur. Just another observation of this fight, and this is kind of this is kind of off boxing, but it was a you know I, I look I look at details a lot of times. So the fight's over, Better Beavs in the ring. They've announced the decision and whatnot. And uh, I don't know if you know, so there's like there's some guys in the ring. His his posse, whatever you want to call it. Some guys got a gold plated cell phone, and he's 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 showing someone on the cell phone. They're doing like a FaceTime sort of thing. And uh, does the name uh, Ramzan Kadyrov ring a bell to you? No. No. He is he's the president of Chechnya because better be a Chechnyan and this guy is a really controversial figure. Uh, he started his well his father was Ahmad Kadyrov and he there was a revolution his father was killed and then he took over and he he loves MMA mostly and boxing as well so he started Ahmad named after his father Ahmad MMA. And Ahmad boxing, and that's who Better BF fights through. But this guy is a bad dude. He's like a dictator. He rules with an iron fist. Uh, there, there was a real. But reason I want to bring this up because there's a real sports. Uh, you know, HBO Real Sports did something about I don't know maybe three four years ago it was fascinating, and I, I encourage anyone out there to pull it up. Uh, real Sports uh, with uh, I don't know how it would be listed, but uh, Chechnyan leader or, or Ramzan Kadyrov, but. Uh, I mean, this guy, he, he's executing journalists and, uh, you know, he's hes against gays and Jews and the whole nine yards. I mean, he's just, you know, he, he's just, he rules with an iron fist. And uh, Fedor Emelianenko, who is, of course, uh, MMA royalty, he criticized this guy. And then mysteriously, uh, Emelianenko's daughter was assaulted on the streets. And it's, it's, it's you know, the inference is that you don't, insult me you know it's, it's he's just he's a bad guy and this is the guy that better be is sort of i don't want to say in bed with but he's tied to so uh i i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna do some digging on this yeah Marty, and, that's, and that's, i, I uh, want to see where this where this goes and, stuff, and whatnot Marty. but i mean yeah. it's just i but i saw his face on the the guy held up this gold-plated phone and i saw his face and i said i know that guy you know so ahmad mma ahmad boxing is uh what he's running over there, and he, he's he's made a challenge. He said he wants his Ahmad fighters to fight UFC fighters to see who the best are, and uh, it's it's just fascinating though. You should really pull that up. Real Sports HBO, it's it's fantastic. Okay, also Saturday, Scotty, we saw 
a young rising superstar by the name of Virgil Ortiz fight the former junior welterweight champion uh, Maurice Hooker. And uh, that was coming out. Well, I don't want to say coming out party because Ortiz has had some, some solid uh, performances against some pretty good names, but Hooker was definitely the best of the names that he's faced so it was far. A step up, sure. And uh, he passed with flying colors, but take nothing away from Hooker. I mean, he he gave as well as he took till it ended, and that was a fantastic fight. It, it was a better fight than I thought it would be. I was wondering how uh, Hooker would handle the the pressure and the power of Ortiz after seeing what Ramirez did to him. I I kind of buy his excuse that the weight cut was was weakening him and that he was stronger at welterweight and i don't think anything different even though he got stopped by ortiz because he took a lot of punishment before he was stopped and he dished it out as well mighty mo was in fantastic shape he was very well prepared i thought he fought a a very good fight and here's an issue in boxing where someone might say well he got stopped i don't really want to see him again i'd love i'd i'd see Maurice Hooker again. Absolutely. If he can fight. He he brings it. He fights hard. He fights tough. And the expectation that maybe he would keep him at the end of the jab and sort of try to stay out of range uh, was dispelled very, very early. He, uh, he realized, I can't keep this guy off me. I'm going to have to fight him. I'm going to have to get respect. Otherwise, he's just going to chase me down and walk all over me. Yeah, even after he was and hurt, that's what he, he came did. back. And even he after he was, that's exactly yeah. what he did. Unfortunately, he broke his hand. I think he was on his way out anyway. But after being down in the sixth, he looked like he'd given everything. And it, it was it was about that time, I think. Ortiz had taken over, and I think he was on the verge of winning the fight. But he broke his hand at that point. And you're already getting knocked down. You realize you've given it your all, and you just broke your hand. Uh, it's so. despicable uh, for the fans to build. Uh, I mean, that's, that, that's ridiculous. You know, that was yeah. that was a great effort from both guys. Ortiz looks fantastic. Yes, he, does. Uh, he looks like the goods. Uh, I love the fact that he wants to fight Crawford or Spence or whoever. You know, he's, he wants to challenge the best guys right now, and I love that. You know, some people are saying you know he needs more seasoning. I, I think he does, but. I'd love to see that fight. I mean, people said the same thing about Tiafimo Lopez. He's not ready. Absolutely. And what happened right yes. there. So, I mean, yes. you know, when you don't when you don't reach for the big fights, you, you a lot of times you don't get the big fights. So, uh, when I look at Ortiz, the only, the only criticisms I can have him, uh, he did get hit. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say a lot, but there were times in exchanges where he was hit clean. And I'm wondering, you know, when he's up against the top echelon of the welterweight division and that happens... Is he just going to keep marching forward like he did? And the other thing is, it seems like everything he throws is a fastball. You know, everything, he's just, he's young, he's full of energy, he wants to prove himself, and that's great. But I think, you know, if he could, you know, vary it up a little bit, I mean, but it's it's not a criticism, it's just an observation. He's a great fighter. Well, I think that's a really good observation because at some point, especially when you're at the higher levels in the sport, and welterweight is deep. There, you got a lot of good fighters, you know, at the top in that division. Um, he, he, he's he's going to need to realize every punch can't be a home run punch. And hopefully he'll learn from this fight. You know, he came out pretty much unscathed. He got the win. He got the stoppage. He looked sensational. So I think it's a good opportunity to learn and maybe work on that going forward. 
But hey, if he doesn't, uh, as a fan, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I mean, you. yeah, it, it, he he's an exciting young fighter, and I, you know, I was looking at all these young fighters. He's, he's 22 years old. I'm thinking, wow, he's 22. You know, Tiafimo's 23. Ryan Garcia's 22. Devin Haney's 22. All these if young, these guys would just get in the ring, we would have such a. This would be a golden era of boxing. It, it really, Marty. I mean, yeah. there are some the talents good, there. Good young, talented, not just talented, but exciting right. fighters. And to your point, is it too early to fight a Crawford? We just talked about guys with extensive amateur uh, careers. Maybe they shouldn't wait too long as a pro. And if that opportunity is there, then maybe you take it. Is unfortunately the mindset is that we don't want someone to get beat up. We don't get someone to get seriously hurt. Uh, you know, the Jeff Lacey versus Calzaghe yeah. obviously is one that comes to mind where it just ruins a fighter. He was done. But after that, at the same time, I, I love to see a young fighter step up and fight a guy like a Crawford or a Spence, someone who uh, like 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 a Tiafimo and Lomachenko. Because I think they're, you know, they've been preparing for a long time. You know, they've had so many amateur fights. They've, they, you know, Hooker is an ex-champion. He's a good fighter. Uh, if Crawford would give him the fight, definitely. Yeah, how do you, how do you turn it down? You know, when when big money's involved, and you know, you 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 have confidence in yourself, and you know, he kind of paid respect to Crawford and said, yeah, you know, you're one of the best. But how do I know if I'm the best? If I don't fight the best, you know, so. And, and, and the problem is we think, well, he might lose. So, so yeah, right. It, it goes back to we're a loss in boxing. Yeah, it's not a death sentence. Unfortunately, it's viewed that way by too many. Right. And, it, and it shouldn't be. Um, should he fight Crawford and lose to Crawford? Okay, you learn. You can still come back. We talked about Marvin Hagler. There's a perfect example Absolutely. of that. So. As, as an aside, we mentioned Crawford. How did you feel as just dispirited yes. as I did? I know what you're getting ready to say. When yes. he said, nah, I'm, yeah. I'm, Spence isn't going to happen. I'm, I'm moving on. I'm not thinking about Spence. I thought, why would you say that? Right. That's, that's a legacy-defining fight. You know, you, you've proven that you're uh, head and shoulders better than all the B-level guys. <laughs> it's time to chase the best guys. And, you know, I, I'm not privy to the whole what's going on behind the scenes, whether they're negotiating, they're not negotiating. You know, uh, one thing I try not to do on the show is, is, is spread rumors when I don't know facts. I mean, I'll give my opinion. But, you know, you hear like, oh, uh, Spence wants 80-20. And, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, I know. I, it's who's, hard to know who's, who's privy to those exactly. actual facts? So right. I don't sit here and, and pontificate over who's right and who's wrong. I just wish they wanted it like uh, Hearns and Hagler wanted it, <laughs> you know, to, to bring it back to Hagler. You know, I wish, I wish they both wanted it more than they want the money or more than they want whatever it is that's holding them back. Sure, and I promise you that whatever money they would get, whatever the split is, it's going to be a lot of money. But your, your career is only so long. And Crawford and Spence both have established themselves as the two best welterweights in the world and two of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters. But they need to fight each other to ascend to that next level as legendary. 
and you mentioned a career-defining fight. It would be career-defining for either fighter. And it would get casuals. I hate to use the word casuals because I, I know, I know. You know that's, it's, that's, it's, that's it's a cliche because it's term. an ins- because like it's that. an insult, and I don't like yeah. it because you know, like you know, you know, I'm like a casual uh, MMA fan, but I don't feel like that means I'm stupid. It just means that I, I I don't know as much about it. I'm not into it as much, but I enjoy it. I know some about it. I just feel like boxing is my area of expertise. But I. When you when people when someone calls someone a casual, it's just it's it's like an insult and it's a shame because there's to me that's the best way to describe someone who has a passing interest in something. But I think that that fight Spence Crawford would bring the uh, excuse the term casuals. It would bring the casuals out, and it would elevate the sport. You know that's of course and it, the casual to me is the is the non boxing fan per se. They're a sports fan. They like a good fight, but they don't really know sure. a lot of the particulars about yeah, the background they, they, and whatnot. They like sports. Not like us they, goobers. They'll watch football <laughs> and they watch baseball. You know, who knows, you know, what their favorite sport might be, but they listen to the sports radio channels. And when they hear buzz about a fight, they'll tune in because it's buzzworthy. They're talking about it on the show today, right. so this must be a big fight. Or hey, I've heard that name before. He's a pretty good fighter, and that other guy is a pretty good fighter. So I want to tune in. I'm that way with a lot of sports. You know, there's a lot of sports I don't necessarily care for, but or I don't have time to watch. But when it's a big event, per se, I, then well, I want to catch that. Yes, I want to watch that Final Four or you know, exactly. something like that. Yeah. Exactly. I won't watch college basketball throughout the season, but when it comes to the Final Four, I may tune in, especially. If there's buzz around it, if people are talking about a particular team, you want to say, hey, what's this all about? Exactly. And I think there are a lot of people like that with boxing as well. And the problem is you need buzz. And the way to get buzz is for guys like Crawford, guys like Spence to fight each other because they're not going to tune in for, you know, Crawford and, you know, the number eighth ranked welterweight, whoever that might be. Yeah, that's probably the guy he just fought. So, uh. Uh, yeah, it's it's it, it's difficult. That's it, it, one of the things I like. My, my mission here is to sort of try to help people who, are, if you have an interest in boxing but you're really not into it, I'm, I want to help s- separate what's important from what's not. And hey, you should be watching this fight, or you know, that's that's kind of you know the way I am. But a lot of times, you know, when I go to work, uh, people want to talk about. Uh, retired fighters and uh, the TikTokers and all this other stuff. And it's, it's kind of hard. It's, 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 it's tough to stay in those conversations sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I try to swing it back to the real boxing as best as I can, you know? Yeah, that's, I that's understand. What I can. Yeah. Scotty, let's take a look at uh, some of the upcoming fights that we got here as we ha- sort of head down the stretch here. Um, so this weekend, or this weekend coming up, uh, the 27th, we've got a rematch on DAZN. Which has been fantastic, by the way. I love uh, I love the zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Gibraltar, which is strange, I've never I've never heard of a fight being uh, being contested in Gibraltar. But uh, we've yeah, got... apparently there's a city and a country. It's in Gibraltar, Gibraltar. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just That's... asked somebody the other day. I said, "What country is that in?" I mean, I know where it is. You know, I know I know where it is on the map. I just don't know a whole lot about it. But uh, interesting. I, I think it's like one of those places where, like, the land that law forgot, where we can go there and. And we can disregard uh, all these, uh, you know, archaic laws and, and things that are holding us back. But anyway, in Gibraltar, we got a rematch of a, of a really good fight that ended up being 
uh, what some people think was the knockout of the year last year uh, until Tank Davis fought Leo Santa Cruz, and that is Alexander Povetkin and Dillian White. Uh, White seemed to be having his way. At least he was ahead on the cards. I uh, scored a couple of knockdowns, uh, and then the, the following round, Povetkin just put him away with a beautiful yep, annihilated him with a beautiful shot uppercut. uppercut yeah. Yep. So how, how do you see that playing out coming up Saturday? I have no idea. Yeah. I'm know, on the fence. <laughs> based on yeah. the first fight, it could go either way. These are heavyweights. Povetkin's getting towards the end of his career, and looking out, look, looking at his career. I'm surprised. Not not surprised. I, I, I don't know really the right word. Um, fascinated that he still only has two losses. You kind of think of Povetkin as this uh, veteran guy that's right. You know, has five or six losses. And no, he's only lost twice. Uh, Klitschko and Joshua. Exactly. And, and those very, are very... two of the best guys <laughs> that you can lose to. Yeah. So, so for sure, Povetkin is still a very relevant fighter. Um, and I think the pressure's on White though, because oh, it has I mean, to be. if if you lose this fight, you've you've lost two fights to a guy who's in his forties, I think. I mean, I think he's like forty-one or Povetkin's yeah. forty-one. So you you lose two fights to a guy who's basically on his way out soon. You would you would think, and and you're a guy who you want the big fights. You want the Deontay Wilders, and you you know you want the rematch with Joshua. You want the Tyson Furies. You want all these big name guys. You're not going to get them coming off back-to-back -back losses against a 41-year-old fighter. No, and uh, especially when you're a 32-year-old fighter, and it's kind of your time, and you think, you know, Pavetkin, he's had his time, and the 32-year-old guy should be the guy should. to win the fight. He was close the first time. Yeah. Officially, I'm leaning white in this fight, but I, I, I would not be surprised with any outcome. I, I, I that's 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 what I'm saying. I, I really, uh, who knows what's going to happen. I, I guess, I guess I'll, t I'll, you know, go the other way, sort of leaning towards Povetkin. I think Povetkin has the better skill set. Um, I think Povetkin's punch was the only one that mattered. Yes. <laughs> in that first fight, and it's kind of hard to come back from a. Uh, it's difficult to get that out of your head. It's one thing to get knocked down, but to get just knocked out cold like yeah. that when you are winning the fight and you think you're in full control. Relax a little bit and yeah, it's, next it's, thing you know it's, it's tough. But then again, these are heavyweights. And you mentioned wanting to get people interested, telling them here's what you should watch versus you know, the things that maybe you shouldn't. This is one that if you're mildly interested, if you have access to the, the zone, uh, check this fight out. Everyone loves heavyweights. Um, not the boring heavyweights, not the fat heavyweights, not the out-of-shape heavyweights. People love good, strong, power-punching heavyweights who also have skill, and that's what you have with Povetkin and White, two guys that are very, very powerful. And we saw in that first fight how, I mean, every punch that is thrown could be the end. The end, right. And it ended very dramatically, which is always kind of what you want in a heavyweight fight. It's yeah. not the kind of fight where you get up to get a drink or whatever. No, you you have to be, be locked idea. in because Go to the bathroom you just don't know. Right. And uh, it, it, enjoy it. This should be should be a good fight. And uh, whoever, it's, it's, this is, sounds dumb, whoever lands the bigger shot. Right. I mean, yeah, right. Whoever lands gonna, the big punch. Whoever lands the big punch because, uh, you know, White landed a few of them, but they just weren't big enough. And Povetkin, who's really not a one-punch 
knockout power. I mean, he's got he's power. He's a skilled boxer. But uh, some his, power. He's, he's yeah. a little short for the, I mean, in this day and age, you know, when you got the 6'5", 6'7", 6'9", type guys. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to this uh, this fight. I'm glad they're doing it again. Nice to see a Just a quick note, I'm, I'm glad you, you you sort of mentioned what you did. Um, in the age of the zone, ESPN Plus, and all these different apps and things, we're getting fights from other countries, and because of that, we're getting a lot of daytime fights. And a lot of times I'll say, hey, did you see that fight? No, I didn't know. I put it, I put the fights on last night, but they didn't have any fights. I said, yeah, because that's because it was on during the day. Like a lot of people, you know, it's just it's just sort of a friendly heads up that a lot of these fights are because of the time change. They're five hours ahead of us or six hours ahead of us uh, in parts of Europe and whatnot where a lot of these fights are coming from. Check your local listings for details or go to H-Bomb Boxing uh, Facebook page and I will update you. But uh you have to pay attention because some, you know, you could you could miss a really good fight because you weren't paying attention. Before we move on, I just wanted to uh, mention also on that card the pro debut of Campbell Hatton, Ricky Hatton's son's 130 pound, uh, he's a junior lightweight, and uh, I just saw his opponent today. It was TBA last week, and I just saw his opponent today. And he, and, and unless I read this incorrectly. Zero wins, ten losses. So uh, I think we're we're trying to we're trying to get uh, young. Start, a, start a in the shallow end. Of we're the trying pool. to get young Campbell uh, in the win column yeah. here to, to start. Yeah. His you career. know, you feel old, Marty, when you start seeing the sons of fighters that you watched. Right. Uh, ah, great segue, because uh, March thirty first uh, in Australia, Tim Zhu. I was just thinking of him. Tim Zhu yeah. taking on uh, Dennis Hogan, and that's a good fight. Uh, Hogan had a great fight with Jaime Munguia. Uh, Zoo uh, looked really good. Destroyed Jeff Horn. Um, he wants to be known as Tim Zoo and not Costa Zoo's son. And uh, I, you know, you're always skeptical when the son becomes a fighter because you know there's always a Marvis Frazier out there. <laughs> you know, or or you know, Cesar Chavez, yeah, yeah, Chavez Jr. Yeah, Chavez Jr. We could go on, but you know, uh, I think he's the goods, man. From what I've seen, he looks good, and I, I look forward to seeing him. I like to see him uh, come to the states. Yeah, take on I mean, some of the a, some of the names here. Step up fight for him, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, so, but it does make me feel old, Marty. Yeah, you well, know, when I see Campbell Hatton and Tim Zhu and Connor Ben and it, yeah, you know, all, all these the, guys, right? Yeah, it's tough. Well, and and that's uh, March 31st, by the way, which is uh, midweek. I believe it's a Wednesday or whatever. So say, that and, sounds midweek. I I don't have any uh, TV coverage on that, so um, I'm not real sure. But I'm going to keep my eye on it and definitely tune into to the results, if nothing else. So uh, moving along, April 3rd on ESPN Plus from Dubai, Jamel Herring and Carl Frampton. Uh, junior lightweight title fight. And I think this is a good matchup because I don't think either one of these guys, I like both guys, don't get me wrong. Uh, how can you not like Jamel Herring, American hero? Uh, Semper Fi. But neither one of these guys are world beaters, especially at this point in their career. And I, with all the young killers in and around that weight class, I don't see them as coming out on the top of the heap. So I think it's a good matchup between these two. What do you think? Sure, it's a good matchup between the two of them. And who knows the winner might get an opportunity against one of the young stars in the sport. Might be a good name for somebody, for a scalp to, to fight. Yeah, um, uh, we'll see. We'll see how much each of these guys has left. So that's that's April third on ESPN Plus. Now April tenth on ESPN, not plus. That's minus or whatever you want to call it. April tenth, 
uh, in Tulsa, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, Joe Smith and Maxim Vlasov. The fight was canceled about a month ago. Vlasov uh, was uh, tested positive for COVID. So now it's Joe Smith, Maxim Vlasov. Vlasov's coming down from cruiserweight. Uh, this should be a pretty good fight. I'm, I, I got to think Joe Smith wins it, but you, you never know. Yeah, I lean towards Joe Smith. I think it's going to be a good, rugged yeah. fight. And as you mentioned, the winner is supposed to fight uh, better be of. So. Yeah, looking forward to that. I really am. Uh, uh, also, just real quick on that same card, we got uh, Effie Ajagba. He's, uh, he's a, a prospect at heavyweight. And also uh, the real big baby, Jared Anderson, 8 no 8 KOs. So you got some pretty... The real big, big baby. The real big baby. Okay. Yeah, that's what he goes by. So okay. uh, yeah, good prospects on the undercard of that one. So I'm looking forward to that. Also, same night, April 10th, Showtime from Uncasville, Connecticut, Jerron Boots Ennis. And we talked about Virgil Ortiz. Here's the other young stud in the welterweight division. And he's stepping up. This is his toughest fight. He's taking on Sergey Lipinets. Uh, of course, Lipinets gave Mikey Garcia a really good fight. Uh, he's a solid pro. Uh, we're going to find out what, what Boots has. Uh, he looks he looks like the goods to me, Scotty. He is. He is. Another young guy, 23 years old. I love all these young 20s, 20-somethings uh, in the sport. And uh, Jerron Ennis, 26-0 with 24 knockouts. The guy can crack. And a uh, good test against Lipinets. And who knows, maybe... Maybe down the road, we'll see uh, Jerron Ennis. And, yeah, uh, I, I like to see these guys eventually get in with guys like Thurman and, yeah. and Danny Garcia. You know, guys like that, that, you know, I don't want to say they're on their way out, but, you know, that that's where I need to see these young guys, you know. Well, the welterweight division is deep. That's the thing. With the welterweight yes. division, I think, you know, one through ten, you have pretty good fighters that you can test yourself against. And a legitimate ladder to climb in that division. So, yeah, I'd like to see him against uh, fighters like the ones you mentioned. And maybe uh, maybe we'll get a Jerron Ennis and uh, Virgil Ortiz. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's mega. a super fight maybe three, four years down yeah, the road. I can maybe. see that being a really, you know, if if they continue to win and they can build their names, you know, without a doubt, they're they're two of the most talented under 25 uh yeah, well, you got, you got out these there. two in the welterweight division. Of course, you know, you got guys like Ryan Garcia and Teofimo Lopez in the lightweight division, along with Devin Haney. So I like it when you have these these I don't want to even call them prospects anymore. They're 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 a little above prospect. Um, they're established these, stars, but they're yeah, untested. Yeah, exactly. established but untested. Established but untested. That's a good way to put it. Um, all in the same weight class because you're hoping down the road we get some. Uh, yeah, we get some good fights out of that. Some yeah. really good matchups. Jerwin and Cajas, uh, junior bantamweight uh, title holder. He's also on that card as well. So, not to be outdone on the tenth, the zone. So that gives us three fight cards in one day. Uh, April tenth, we got uh, Connor Ben and Sammy Vargas, Samuel Vargas, who's kind of in gatekeeper status. Uh, but I think it's a pretty, it's a good step up for Connor Ben. He looked, he's he's getting better in my opinion. Um, so we'll see what he's got. Of course, he's another one who's living. Under his father's shadow, so to speak. Oh, so his father was one of my favorite yeah, fighters. Great fighter. Love Nigel yeah. Ben. That fight with Eubank. Gerald McClellan is still one of the. I know he had a couple of yeah. classics with Eubank, but the most memorable in my mind is the fight with McClellan. Yeah. Memorable for un, unfortunate <laughs> reasons <laughs> right. because of what happened to McClellan. Yeah. But just a great fight nonetheless. And uh, funny story behind that, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you later. Oh, yeah. Well, I'd love to hear it. 
Uh, moving on, so uh, on this, I'm, I'm going to mention this really quickly because I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. There's a pay-per-view in Atlanta on April 17th, and I will tell you that the boxers involved in that are Regis Progay and, and Ivan Redcatch. And it's interesting because what we've got is uh, we've got uh, YouTubers against uh, UFC guys, and we've got uh, retired boxers against retired UFC guys. It's it's a little bit farcical. The, the reason I wanted to mention this, though, is because I love Regis Proger. I think he's a great fighter. I think the fight with Josh Taylor was fantastic. It was very close. Uh, they, they, they both earned a lot of respect in that, that fight from me. But I got to call him out here because Progre has been on his soapbox saying, we've got to get these YouTubers and TikTokers and, uh, you know, retired guys. We, we have to stop all these sideshows and get down to the, you know, you know, it's all about the actual boxers. It's disrespectful to the boxers to have these shows. But as soon as somebody held up a check and said, would you like to appear on Showed this car? He went right Showed after it. Money, so, uh, yeah. you know, let's be consistent out there. Yeah. But uh, speaking of Progray and speaking of Maurice Hooker, I was really disappointed because right around this time last year, I don't know if you remember or not, but Regis Progray was supposed to fight Maurice Hooker. I had tickets to the fight. It was supposed to be at MGM National Harbor. And uh, they had, I think, a catch weight. It was 143 they were going to fight at at the time. And I was really, you know, uh, yeah, kind of like fired fight. up. That's, you know? that's a shame. And that yeah, just place. went to Bolivian. So yeah, went to Bolivian. Uh, so <laughs> out with that, and that that pretty much covers. I mean, of course, you know, in May we've got Canelo, B.J. Saunders, and then you know, a really good fight because it's a unification on May twenty second. Jose Ramirez and Josh yeah, Taylor. They exciting. each have two belts, like so that. that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, Terence Crawford just unified the division a couple years ago. You know, uh, he moves up to welterweight, and the four belts get scattered, and yet here we are again with a chance to for somebody to, you know, that that's that's good stuff when you can see somebody go undisputed. You know, while sort of undisputed, you know, it's so it's so convoluted and we don't have time to unpack why it's so convoluted. Um, but the only other fight that I did want to mention here, Scotty, is uh, April 24th on Fox Pay-Per-View. Yeah, you heard me right. Pay Fox Pay-Per-View. We got Andy Ruiz, uh, who's 33-2, and two, so he's got a strong record here. He was former champion. He, he scored the big upset against Anthony Joshua. He lost in the rematch. Going against Chris Ariola, who's 40 years old. Two and four in his last six hasn't uh, in his last five years he's two and four and he hasn't had a fight in two years and the last fight he had he lost. Uh, why is this a pay per view? <laughs> that's a good question. I that's a good question. I asked remember, remember remember what you were saying earlier about you know where you want to direct people towards what maybe you yes. should watch versus yes. what you shouldn't. I don't want to tell anyone what they shouldn't <laughs> watch, but. Uh, just a little buyer beware if you're going right. to spend your money yeah. uh, to watch this fight. I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm saying don't spend your money to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Find another way. Uh, do something or another. But um, And we don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but uh, Fox and PBC have a contract that's about to expire. And from what I read and what I understand... It's an amicable when this when this is over. I think they're both going to move on. I don't think Fox wants to deal with it. They haven't been able to really generate the the type of interest uh, that maybe they thought. And PBC, Al Heyman, like they're pattern. they're ready. Yeah, and they're ready to move on. And this is sort of a, there was an obligation within the contract that they had to have so many you know pay per views and you know so many dates and so many whatever. And I think this is just filling a date. To be honest with you, uh, what and do you think it gets? Five buys. <sighs> There's always somebody out there. I mean, you know, we've seen this bare knuckle fighting, and uh, you know, hey, hey, Tyson Roy Jones was the highest selling pay per view last year. I, so. I'd watch a rematch. I'd pay for a rematch before I yeah. pay for Ariola. I hear you. and Ruiz. Marty. So 
you know, and it, I just find uh, PBC interesting. I, I'm, I'm going to get back into this in another episode uh, where I can really sort of do a deep dive on it because I think it's a fascinating topic. You know, when PBC started, like I said, Richard Schaefer sort of engineered, you know, he built his roster basically off of Golden Boy with Richard Schaefer sort of brokered that deal to get all those guys out from under uh, Oscar De La Hoya's nose and, and they started this whole thing. And, and I think the idea was when they started this, of course, uh, Al Heyman gets a $500 uh, – from a hedge fund, he gets $500 million to, to stage all these fights, and he did time buys, so what he was doing, he was buying fights on all different networks, and, and it sort of flipped the, the script, instead of the networks paying for the fights, he was paying the networks for the time to show the fights, and I think the idea was that, you know, when you're spending someone else's money, I guess it's, uh, you know, I guess it's easy to, it's easier to do, but I think the idea was that they were going to try to put everyone else out of business by showing all these great fights on free TV, and of course, uh, Bob Arum sued them, and then they 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 settled the lawsuit when uh, when they came to terms with Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao fight. When they came together, that sort of the the lawsuit went away, and I think that was probably part of the reason why Heyman uh, went ahead with the whole Mayweather Pacquiao thing is because th that sort of dissolved the lawsuit that was coming down uh, from top rank. Uh, when they first started, though. I thought it was interesting. One of the things I noticed was, and I, I think it was uh, like Danny Garcia and Robert Guerrero had, a, I think it was one of the first big fights that they had. And afterwards, uh, and I could be wrong about the specific fight, but somebody went to hold up a belt, WBA, whatever belt. And there was security guard type guy in the ring. I know uh, it's a guy that we see a lot in Vegas. He reaches up and pulls the belt down like, no, we're not recognizing these belts. I think what they wanted to do was start their own league, so to speak, a la UFC. Because, you know, all UFC is MMA, but all MMA is not UFC. And I think that was the idea. And uh, I just find it interesting that, you know, what they started on was kiss pay-per-view goodbye, free fights are back, you know, and, and, and now here they are. The money's running dry if it's not all the way gone, and now they're staging pay-per-view fights. So I just and, and horrible pay-per-view yes, fights. Yes, yeah, this one, like yeah. you say, is horrible. Yeah. And and they weren't able to put boxing out of business and sort of monopolize things. And I I think that's one of the things. And and another thing I think is PBC has the vast majority of the talent at welterweight, with the with this exception of Terence Crawford. You know, there's maybe a few other guys in the top ten, but. PBC owns the majority of the guys that are at the top. And I think what they were trying to do is freeze Crawford out. The, none of these guys are fighting Crawford. And the idea was that Crawford will tire of not getting the big fights that he wants. And when it's time to separate from top rank, he would do that and join them. I think, I, you know, I, it's just a theory. But I think that was their plan. And, and I've seen nothing to dissuade me from believing that was the case. So... You're you're nodding your head, but uh, yeah. No, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean it's it's not a conspiracy. Can't really theory. add anything to that, it's, Marty. That's, it's not like a conspiracy theory. It's just I believe that was their business model, well, and course. I haven't and, and been. That, that's how things work. I haven't been persuaded sure. that I'm wrong. So sure. But uh, I tell you what, Scotty, we have rolled through like an hour and a half, and uh, it's been fantastic. Anytime I start talking boxing with you, like the time just goes by. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to get into? No, I think we pretty much covered it all, and I think if I uh, if I brought anything else up, we may be here till the morning. So maybe yeah. we should just. Uh, I hear you. Let it go. Well, I appreciate you coming in. You're always welcome. That chair is always open for you, and uh, it it makes a better show when you're here. So I definitely appreciate it. 
I appreciate it, Marty. Sure. Glad to join you. So, thank you to everyone who's, I, I want to say tune in, but you don't tune into podcasts. I guess you, you stream in. Is that is that what you do? You could call it that. Stream in. Thanks for everyone. Thanks to everyone for streaming in. Check in. And uh, I just uh, want to say that for Scotty Krause, uh, I didn't even mention my own name, Marty H. So, for Scotty Krause, this is Marty H., uh, and I'd like to remind you that in life, it's not where you are, it's not what you're doing, it's who you're with that matters. So spend more time with the people you love, watch more boxing, and we'll do it again next time on the H-Bomb Just not Boxing Report. <laughs> so long, everybody.